Welcome to the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. Maximize your leadership potential and professional advancement and be inspired. We're delighted to be your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development from a women in business perspective. We share our original research, explore industry and workforce trends, and interview female executives, allies, and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things women in business, leadership challenges, talent management, organizational development, change management, and diversity and inclusion. Welcome to the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. In this WBIL podcast episode, Dr. Kelly Hall talks with Jessica Bundy as part of the Women in Business Leadership Speaker Series. My name is Dr. Kelly Hall. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, The Woodbury School of Business, along with UVU's Women's Success Center, we are delighted to have you participate in tonight's Women in Business Leadership Speaker Series. Um, Before we get started, um, just a couple reminders for those of you who were um, able to attend last week and some information for those of you who are joining for the first time. Um, Just logistic items for you, you may have already noticed that your audio and your video are currently disabled, um, and that's just to help mitigate uh, background distractions and background noise. However, of course, we want you to um, ask questions if you have questions that come up. So at any point uh, during our talk tonight, you can submit questions in writing via the Q&A feature at the bottom of the screen. Alternatively, um, you can Um, Towards the end of the session, as time allows, if we have open Q&A, you can just um, raise your hand using the feature at the bottom, and I'll be able to to turn your audio on so that you can verbally pose any questions that you have. Um, Now, without further delay, I'm so excited to introduce you to Jessica Bundy. Um, Jessica is a consumer behavior professional and uh, a manager of consumer insight at the Walt Disney Company. Um, She has played a key role in kind of the evolution of social listening at her organization. And I have had the good fortune of knowing Jess for several years. And I know that during this time, she has really honed her expertise in this area. She has really honed her leadership capabilities um, and has built an impressive reputation, both internal to her organization, as well as um, in her broader field. Um, So beyond kind of her uh, primary domain, she's really engaged with various initiatives such as DEI initiatives at her organization, and I can attest to her overall leader character. So I'm so excited to have um, Jess here with us tonight. And Jess, if it's okay, um, I think we'll start by um, kind of letting the audience know a little bit more about your career path and the area of business that you work in. Um, and then kind of tap into any insights or recommendations that you have from um, your own leadership experiences. Does that sound okay? 
Sounds great. Thank you, Kelly. And can you hear me okay? Yes. All right, great. Um, so hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Jeff Bundy, as Kelly mentioned. I will start by saying, even though I work for the Walt Disney Company, I am not speaking on behalf of the Walt Disney Company at all today. Um, I'm going to mainly be speaking to my general experiences. However, I have spent the vast majority of my career at Disney. Um, so I'll start with my undergrad. So my undergrad was in business. I always knew um, that I wanted to go to college, that I wanted to you know, pursue a degree. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do and I ended up choosing business because I thought it was a smart, safe option. And it ended up being a great thing because it turns out I love business, particularly marketing and particularly consumer insight. Um, I had been going to Disney with my family for years. So in the back of my mind, I also always thought, hey, that would be a really cool company to work for. Uh, seems like it would be a really interesting business to work on. And I had heard that Disney does a college program and talked to some people who did it, ended up um, participating in it in my senior year of my undergrad. And that was kind of my first foot in the door. So I was a Disney college program participant, which basically just means you're a, you're a frontline worker in operations, but you do also get the chance to start connecting with some people in the business world. So there's some special classes, actually kind of like what Kelly's putting on for all of you that, um, invites you to go in and speak to different marketing professionals. And so I attended some of those that really piqued my interest. I ended up going back to finish my undergrad, but I applied to professional internships and management internships at Disney Next. And so then I did a management internship, which was really kind of like my next little step up the ladder. And after that, I uh, started applying to every entry level job I possibly could in marketing or in social media. So my undergrad being in business, I did kind of pursue some, some more classes in marketing and psychology. Those were my main areas of interest. And I just had a couple of external internships that both happened to have social media components. So I applied to this role that at the time was a project hire, which is, you know, for the Disney translation is, it's a temporary role. Um, it was only supposed to be for six months. But I applied for it, I received it. It was a social media listening analyst. And as I came to find out, that was going to be the first team at Disney that was doing social media listening, which is going out on social media, finding out what our consumers and guests are saying about us, and then analyzing that and reporting on it to help the business make better decisions. So it's got a variety of different use cases. And this was really my first you know, step into it. And thankfully, <laughs> basically the hiring manager, she took a chance on me because I didn't have any specific experience in social media listening. Like I said, I had the business background, I had some social media internships, and I had a little bit of Disney experience. Really, she thought I could learn, and she taught me then so much in those first couple of years. And then through a series of different moves over the last nine years now, I went from analyst to senior analyst to manager to manager comma, and now I lead two areas. So I, I actually lead the entire discipline of social listening. And I also lead a team that does text analytics and data mining for survey data. So over the years, I've had a lot of really interesting experiences in social media and in research. And I'd say the area in research that I'm in now, I'm really passionate about it. I love trying to discover human truths, you know, going beyond what is just a, you know, instead of thinking of people as consumers and what they can purchase from us, but thinking of them as humans 
and what makes them tick? What do they like? What don't they like? And using that kind of full picture of understanding people to then help Disney parks make better decisions. So that's been the last 10 years. And a couple years ago, I was able to complete an MBA program where Kelly was my professor. So you're in good hands with her. And I'm really, really excited to be here and hopefully share more of my experiences to help you all learn. Thank you so much. Um, so probably a lot of people out there have not been exposed to this idea of social listening. So thanks so much for um, providing that background. Um, what do you see in terms of similarity or differences uh, in terms of that form of research relative to others and you know, some pros and cons to think about um, if someone is thinking about maybe better leveraging social media data for their own organizations, what are some things for them to consider? That's a great question. I'll say that the number one thing that I say social listening brings to the table is speed to insight. So for those of you who've had some experience in your market research courses, you're, you may be familiar with building a survey and what goes into which questions you're going to ask. And you may know that the process of building a survey all the way from the beginning, from ideation to actually programming it you know, all the, then to finding the people to ask the survey of, to pulling that sample, analyzing it. It takes weeks, if not months. And the larger the organization, like Disney, which is pretty large, the slower that process moves in many ways, because a lot of the questions need to be vetted by areas like legal and public affairs. And the different business partners all have a say in what they think should be asked or in what they think should be analyzed. So it can be extremely, extremely time consuming to build surveys and then get that data. Um, similarly, even framing up a qualitative research study. So if you're gonna do a focus group or an in-depth interview, again, it's finding the right people, it's finding the stimulus, it's figuring out which questions to ask. With social listening, um, I can have, and I do have this, my director or my VP come to me one morning and say, I need a perspective on this topic. And by the end of that day, I can give them a report on that topic. Um, so in terms of speed, it's basically unmatched compared to the other research disciplines. The other things I'd say is it gives you a really great perspective on typically younger generations, those that participate more, more often in social media. Uh, it's also, it's unfiltered. So a lot of different types of research, you're soliciting the people, you're soliciting specific questions from your audience. In terms of social media, it's kind of a, a free-for-all. People are just offering up their thoughts and feelings and behaviors and all these really interesting things about them. And every source comes with bias and you know, social listening has, has been a different bias, but it doesn't have moderator bias. It doesn't have that, it's going through a filter of a person who represents the business. It's just, we collect it, we analyze it with an open mind and what you find from it can be truly fascinating. Thank you so much. So um, just to kind of build on a comment that you made there, you know, if your VP comes to you with a particular topic, you said by the end of the day, you can provide yeah. that individual a report. Um, if we have um, professionals in our community who, you know, want to go down this path of, of listening to their consumers through social media, um, what does a social listening report look like? What, what are the different components that would go into that? Great question. Um, so I will say to start with any good, you know, social listening request, my team is building a query. Basically we're building this taxonomy of different words of all the different ways someone could possibly talk about the subject. So 
if say I wasn't listening to a specific Disney topic, but I was listening to maybe a, an event like Comic-Con, I might put in Comic-Con is one word with a space in between, hashtag Comic-Con. I might put in different ways that people talk about it. I might put in maybe some of the headlining acts of Comic-Con this year. And I would try and like round out that entire topic to be what, what is it, what's the official way to talk about it? Now what's the abbreviation? What's the misspelling? What's the slang? You know, all those different things. And when we gather all that data for a specific time frame, the number one thing we're typically reporting out on is volume. So how many posts were there that fit that query within this point in time? And it could be 50 posts and it could be 5 million posts and anything in between. And it's our job to also contextualize that and say whether or not that is a lot of posts for the topic. We get that question all the time um, when we have a new, a new project or a new, you know, a new attraction open, for example. They say, well, 5,000 posts, that sounds like a lot, but is it? And I'll say, actually, in terms of Disney, 5,000 posts isn't a lot. Um, that's pretty on the low end. So volume, number one. Uh, sources, where did it come from? And what's the breakdown? So what percentage from Twitter, what percentage from Instagram, what percentage from YouTube, and so on. Uh, it helps give you an idea of where these users are coming from, the type of content they're creating, whether it's more visual like Instagram, whether it's super short like Twitter, or whether it's long form, like, like for example, a consumer review or a forum or a blog post. Um, then you've got trends over time. So within that week or that month, where were the spikes in conversation? Where were the valleys? Basically just picture a line chart and then identifying, were there any interesting fluctuations throughout this time period that we should you know, think about? And then the final two of these kind of five major components are sentiment and theme. And sentiment is the breakdown of positive, neutral, and negative conversation. And within each of those kind of sentiment buckets, what were the themes? What were the drivers? So I could tell you that, you know, conversation was 50% positive, but what were they positive about? What did they like? What exceeded their expectations? What filled them with positive emotions? And kind of explaining that piece of it. And then within negative, okay, what didn't they like? What upset them? What made them mad? And it's all, it's all those sorts of emotional drivers behind a certain experience that make people react to, to any given topic. So those five things are really, I think, the bare minimum of what you need to tell a story with social media data. Okay, awesome. So um, I will say that based on your response to that, um, you've given us a good sense of the complexity of your work um, huh. and um, just the amount of data that you work with when we're talking about 5,000 posts is on the small side and yeah. factoring in all of these five elements. So um, you don't do it alone. You lead a team of people. Sure. Um, so tell me a little bit about in your approach to leadership, um, how you see your leadership style or how others might describe your leadership style. I would say uh, servant leadership. For those who are familiar with the term, I try and be the opposite of a micromanager. I want to get to know my cast as individuals, respect them as individuals, and know that they may have um, all different needs from each other. They may need me to be a different leader to each of them. Um, they may have very different career goals. Some may wanna become an executive one day. Others may wanna just reach the manager level. Some are perfectly happy where they are and the level of excellence that they can achieve in their role may all be different. So a very customized approach that, you know, hopefully my cast know then that I value them all as individuals 
they may have a different role than I do, than a, and I have a different role than our VP does, but none of our roles are less valuable. They're all necessary to make the magic happen, for lack of a better phrase. Yes, thank you. Um, do you think that, um, do you think that being a woman in business in this area of business that's relatively new, um, do you think that that has impacted your style or what have been the big influencers on your leadership style? Yeah, I would say you, Kelly, and the, your leadership courses have had a big influence um, and the Brene Brown books that I've read also a big influence. I've also been lucky to have a lot of great mentors, uh, male and female that I think have all, I, I hopefully try and take a piece from each of them. And also I have had in my almost 10 years at Disney, I think I've had nine different leaders. I have been moved around a lot. I've been through a bunch of different reorganizations. I've been promoted different times. I've moved from different departments. Um, and I will say even, even the leaders that maybe I didn't like as much, I learned a lot from them on maybe what not to do. I will say, you know, I think some of the, my peers who are men do lead in a similar way. Many do not. Um, I don't let that bother me or really, I guess, worry too much about whether my actions are coming across a certain way. I, I will say something maybe as a, as a young female leader in particular, I am more concerned maybe about, about smiling more, about coming across as more friendly. Um, it's, it's funny because Disney's culture is very, very nice in general. You'd kind of expect that, right? Um, so there are other companies that may be a lot more confrontational. If two people have a disagreement, they might be willing to like argue it out in a meeting in front of people. Disney is very much not that way. Um, I were more, you know, maybe going to smile and kind of try and hint things at each other until someone gets the idea. Uh, and I will say, as a woman, I, I do feel maybe a need to skew more strongly in like the nice way and, and trying to come across as friendly. Um, but when it comes down to it, if, if things need to be discussed, you know, I'm not going to shy away from, from a confrontation if it's needed. Can you think of any examples where you've had to, you know, deal with a tough situation or, or have one of those more direct conversations? Oh yes. Unfortunately, many, <laughs> um, I will say, there's okay there's a couple that come to mind one is um a few years ago i had a new intern on my team and whenever i have a new intern start i usually have their entire first week planned out and i have a training day on like kind of each individual thing for the entire first five days um and one of those days i usually have our vendor come in who we use for social listening and they have the tool essentially that we use uh to pull and aggregate data and all the things like that and for whatever reason, I've had a relationship with this vendor for seven years and they've always been fantastic. They put a new guy on our account who was really honestly just rough. Like he, the way he was training my intern, I was very uncomfortable with. I felt like he just had very low patience for her, especially considering it was literally her first week. It was her first job in social listening. She was fresh out of college and I, I had pulled him aside at one point and a couple of different times throughout it, I kind of interjected or he tried to move on to something too fast. And I was like, no, go, you know, go back, please go over that again. Like this is her first time seeing it. She needs to, you know, see it again. And then the day after I called our account executive and I told her 
that was unacceptable. Um, he is not going to be our account analyst. You need to find someone else to be our account analyst. Um, and I kind of went back and forth on if that was the, the right way to handle it. But ultimately, I'm, I'm glad I handled it the way I did. You know, they had flown in to train her. So I couldn't exactly kick him off our account while they were still in Florida in our offices. But I interjected a few times to make sure that she still got what she needed out of the training and then ultimately gave the feedback. They apologized profusely. They put a new person on the account. Um, he actually ended up sending me and my intern separate apology emails. I don't know what it was, if he was just having a bad day or something. But um, yeah, I mean, I felt like it was my it was my responsibility to protect her, for lack of a better word. I'm her leader. It's her first day. Um, so there have been, unfortunately, there's, there's always instances like that. And you start to develop kind of a thick skin, even if you do work at a company whose culture is very nice and friendly. Like there's always going to be people who maybe go from slightly rubbing you the wrong way to doing something really unprofessional and inappropriate. And in his case, I would consider he was on the wrong side of that coin. And so, you know, I had to address it and it really, it went well in the end. I hope that, I hope that helps. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that example. So, um, kind of, um, defending, looking out for people on your team, um, is something that you take very seriously and, um, you know, being an advocate for them. So if you're not dealing with, you know, an unreasonable vendor and it's just more of kind of the day-to-day environment, um, what tips do you have for um, really being a good advocate for people on your team? Oh, yes. Um, well, making connections for them, helping them build their network, particularly if they're very new. Um, I'm lucky that because of the way my work is structured, I have built a fantastic network. And it's not just because of things I've done. It's, it's the fact that the way my team operates is that people from all over marketing and even all over operations and other areas of the company, they can reach out to us for requests. We're kind of, we're a shared service. So I've ended up with a friend in almost every department, you know, in the, in the company, which is wonderful. And I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't share that network with the people on my team. So um, I just had two new people start back in January. And each of my, my recent one-on-ones with them, I've been asking them, who, who would you like to meet? Do you want to meet someone within our department who you maybe haven't met yet? Would you rather meet someone in another department? Marketing, finance, you know, and kind of opening that door to help them make connections. And really for both of them, because they're pretty early in their career, help them figure out if they want to stay in Consumer Insight long-term or if they want to stay working for me long-term. Um, you know, I, and, not, and not being offended if they don't want to. You know, I think that's a key part of it too is, everybody has a different path and some people are happy to do the same thing for long periods of time, but many people aren't. Uh, so helping them network, helping them build that network. And also I would say, you know, once they're ready, helping them build up the skills to eventually replace me. Um, I don't think, I don't want to, uh, to stay in the same place forever. And I think if I, if I left and my team fell apart behind me, that would be, that would be on me. You know, I wouldn't have prepared them well for me to move on and take another role. So one of my direct reports who's been with me for the past few years, I'm starting to kind of pull her into um, this, basically this past year, pulling her into meetings with me to observe how I handle certain situations. And then I've, once she's observed me in a certain situation, the next one is, is her, is her turn, you know? So like, 
in the medical setting, I think they have people like observe, then they have them do it themselves. It's like see one, do one, teach one. Um, and I try and do that with business concepts, with presenting, with dealing with difficult people. Um, so I, I hopefully try and prepare them so that one day if I you know, get promoted again or move on, that they'll do really well without me. Um, Cause I would be, that would be on me otherwise. Thank you. So that's, uh, you know, I think great advice um, and something that, you know, we can apply across so many different contexts. I also really appreciated um, your approach to asking people, you know, who they want to meet. I think sometimes, um, you know, just by the function of how long we've been with the organization, we kind of start to take for granted, you know, how expansive our networks may be. And how when you have someone new in your area or new to your organization, um, you know, enabling them to tap into that social capital is really important. So I appreciate you sharing your approach there. Um, so clearly, you know, you are an advocate for others. Um, do you find it more difficult to advocate for yourself or what recommendations can you offer there? Huh. <laughs> um you know, I guess it depends. I, when it comes to getting a mentor for myself, I've never been shy about that. And I think that that is important and it has helped me a lot. Um, for the longest time, we did not have a formal mentorship program in marketing at Disney parks, but I made a point to get out there to do meet and greets, to introduce myself to people. And when I felt like I clicked with somebody, I followed up with them. And I, every once in a while would send them an article and say, hey, this made me think of you. I thought you'd find this interesting and, and kind of tried to cultivate a longer term relationship. And that's how I ended up with several different mentors at the executive level in different areas of marketing who have looked out for me and tapped me and said, hey, would you want to come try this? And I've had many opportunities to do special projects and things like that because of them. Um, and then I would, <laughs> funny, my first mentor at Disney, uh, his name's Joe, he ended up kind of spearheading this whole effort to create a formal mentoring program for our marketing and sales group at Disney Parks. And he asked me to be one of the people to help him do it, which ended up being extra work in addition to my day job. But I was happy to do it because he is such a you know fantastic mentor, has done so much for me. I really I wanted to give back. I wanted to help create this program. Um, and now that there is a formal one, I joined it as both a mentor and a mentee. So I have someone who I mentor, and then I also have a, another formal mentor now. And I think that I've never been shy about advocating for myself in that way. And I do think it's important. I just, it's all about people and relationships. It's, it's really important to get yourself out there. When it comes to more specific steps beyond that, sometimes I'm, I, I may hold back a little bit. Um, because I don't want to come on too strong to my leadership and make them feel like, oh, I'm always just waiting for the next step, right? Um, so I try to be maybe a little bit more cautious and a little bit more intentional there. I am very ambitious, but I know um, depending on the culture of your organization, that can be either applauded or it can be sort of, oh, you should, hey, you know, you just enjoy where you're at. Um, and I think Disney's a little bit more the other side of like, don't be too impatient, enjoy where you're at. So I maybe roll that back a little bit, but in a different company, I may be more willing to <laughs> let my ambitious side out, you know, even more. 
So a little lesson there in terms of judging the context and uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, you talked about your ambition, um, you're very conscientious, tons of tenacity. So it's not surprising that you've had so much success at a relatively young age. You talked a little bit about being a young female leader. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one phrase that we often hear is imposter syndrome, which, you know, the current thinking is, you know, we really need to normalize it. We need to stop calling it a syndrome because everyone has it. So I'm assuming you yeah. probably experienced some of that as well. Yes. Um, it's funny. And I, I had someone ask me that before. Actually, they phrased it as there's no way you have imposter syndrome. And I said, yes, I do. Um, but are you kidding me? You come off as one of the most confident people ever. You have no fear of public speaking. I've seen you present in meetings. You could talk to a brick wall. And I was like, yes, thank you. <laughs> but that's about things that I know. Um, social listening, for example. Yes, I could talk a blue streak about social listening, about text analytics, and about the areas that I have spent the better part of the last decade creating myself as a subject matter expert in. I definitely have some imposter syndrome when it comes to trying new things. I know that I'm a smart person. I know that I have some, some success in education to back it up. And yet I have been kind of really afraid to jump into something new and different. And I've been tapped multiple times by these, by these mentors typically to say, hey, what if you came over and worked for me in advertising? What if you came over and worked for me in strategy? And I honestly, I, I have balked at every opportunity partially because I love my team. That is, it is a, a good part of it. I have built a great team of fantastic people and it's the idea of leaving them is hard. But if I wouldn't be honest, if I didn't admit that part of it is going, but what if I wouldn't be as successful there? Or what if I wouldn't be able to get promoted as fast there? It's definitely being afraid of taking the wrong step. And truly in life, I mean, we don't really know what a right or wrong step is. Um, and I think the tendency for many people is to maintain the status quo. If you don't know what to do next, just stay where you are. Um, and I'm trying to break myself out of that a little bit and um, hopefully get a little bit more. I think what's gonna help me overcome my imposter syndrome in those areas is learn a little bit more. At least know that I'm kind of educating myself about what I'd be getting myself into um, before I just totally blindly jump to a new role. But yeah, the, I would say if I don't have a ton of experience in it, I do feel like a little bit of an imposter. And so takeaway there is, yes, everyone has it, even if you're, <laughs> you know, have lots of a success. And um, I love the kind of approaching it from the standpoint of what can you do to learn more about, you know, the area yeah. that you're feeling that. Um, so, you know, Given, you know, where you are, I'm assuming at some points you have, you spoke of several male mentors, uh, people older than you, you've probably encountered situations where you were the only female leader in the room. Um, tell me a little bit about how you approach those situations, or if you've had any examples in particular that stand out in your mind um, of things where perhaps you handled it really well, or things you would have gone back and done differently. Yeah. Um... It's interesting because the two, the two disciplines I lead, one is much more female dominated and the other is much more male dominated. So the social listening world, there just does tend to be more women in social media. Um, and in marketing, it does tend to skew a little, you know, more uh, female heavy. 
Then you've got text analytics, the, the other side of my um, team that's much more technical. And there's aspects of it that are more similar to programming, data science, computer science. Uh, and in that side of the team and that side of the world, the partners that I deal with there skew much more in terms of men. Um, so I found myself in rooms, particularly when I'm working with you know text analytics and the more data science side of things. And I guess I, I'm immediately aware of it when it happens, you know. So, but I try not to be self-conscious about it. If anything, I make sure that my voice gets heard. That's something that I'm a little bit more. I'm conscious of it, but I'm not self-conscious of it. I say, okay, it might be a little bit of a challenge in this room to make sure that my perspective is heard if I am the only woman and I'm typically the youngest or the most junior person. That's happened a few times. Um, I just remember that. I bring value. I have a seat at the table for a reason. And I will go into a meeting, typically every meeting I go into, I look at who the attendees are. I prepare myself for it accordingly, whether that means it's a room of all men with computer science degrees or it's it's the marketing strategy team. And I know that they understand things better when I explain it this way. You know, it's knowing your audience, um, I think is critically important regardless. And if anything has just helped me to be aware that there might be certain things that I would have an issue with, like being interrupted or just not finding a moment to get my voice in. But I prepare for that and I make sure I maybe even have my talking points of, I am not leaving this room until I make sure that these questions are answered. And hey, if that means I have to wait to almost the end where there's a lull, I'm gonna jump in and I'm gonna say, I have three questions and the first one is, and then make sure that I have given myself the space that I need to get the answers I need. Um, and I guess, yeah, another thing in not being self-conscious in that area was I inherited this text analytics team and I don't have a computer science background. Like I said, I have a business background. So I, I, I tend to be maybe more like self-deprecating and joke about things. So I said, I would, I would, you know, poke fun at myself of being like the business girl in the room and not necessarily being the computer science person. But I was, We'll say I was very lucky that the men I worked with were very willing to teach me and frankly wanted to learn from me in return and often then tapped me for things like, okay, can you be the one to present this? Because I suck at presenting, you know, like some of them would, would really be that honest with me and they're the smartest people I've ever met, but they're not good at public speaking. So it was a very symbiotic relationship too, in that way of, yeah, I bring other things. So it was just those just aren't my things. Um, and that's fine. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, so you um, obviously work at an organization that is very widely known throughout the world um, in terms of um, how well recognized uh, Walt Disney is. Um, mm -hmm. And so people, I'm coming from Florida myself, I know people are often buying to, to get into uh, jobs at Disney. Um, yeah not necessarily speaking about Disney in particular, but more broadly in terms of things that uh, people, job seekers or students coming out of uh, college programs at the undergrad or graduate level, um, what can they do to better position themselves for the hiring process? Um, or what kinds of things are you looking for that stand out to you? Sure. Um, well, I'd say in, in terms of what I'm looking for, I guess I'll start there. Um, when it comes to social listening as a discipline, as I mentioned, when I was hired into it, I didn't have any experience. So 
I'm open, particularly at the entry level role and when I'm hiring for professional interns to hiring people who don't have a social listening background. Um, but the things I do look for are like intellectual curiosity. And I gauge that in some of the interview questions that I ask. And I, I look for people who are genuinely curious about human beings, um, whether they've taken a lot of psychology or sociology courses, um, whether they you know, had a concentration in market research, like any of that sort of thing where they're, they're interested in data, they're interested in insights, they're interested in people and understanding people. Um, that is my ultimate broad thing that I search for. And the intellectually curious piece is they're not willing to settle for the easy answer. Um, I think that's a big thing in social media, uh, in social media listening is trying to go past all the noise. And there's a lot of noise in social media. There's all sorts of, you know, for every 100 tweets about, um, I love Disney World, just being like the tweet. Then you find one that's like an absolute gem where someone's like, I love Disney because it makes me feel like I'm home because it's actually mental health for me. Like it, there, there's a, it actually, it brings me inner peace to be at Disney. Like that is very different than just, I love Disney world. And, and if you're willing to like seek out and find that there's a real insight there. And that's something that we can use to hopefully make a better product for people or to speak to people in a very real way through marketing. Um, so that's, that's one other piece. And I would say, you know, when it comes to trying to get selected by these big companies or trying to, you know, um, stand out in the interview process, I, I will say, you know, obviously there's, there's all the resume building workshops in the world and you should do those, by the way, you should. And then beyond that, making sure that you have a really up-to-date LinkedIn and that you're networking and that you are connecting with people that you meet at networking events, uh, at speaker series or panel things that, that your school may put on. There have been many opportunities that I had because I did the college program. Then I met people through events like that. Then I did a management internship. I met people through events around that. And it's if you can just try and get a foot in the door at the right place, connect with people, that is going to serve you typically a lot better than you know all of the um, applying to hundreds of jobs. Uh, you just need the right one and the right person at the right time. So do you often have students come um, or attendees rather come and talk to you after events and try to connect with you through those means? And um, you know, how receptive are you to that? Uh, definitely receptive. I will say, um, you know, for, for a lot of people at the, at the Disney events, even in particular, I told people, stay after and talk to me. And I was always, you know, very willing to do that. Of course, in a virtual format, we can't really do that so well. Um, but I would also then tell people, okay, like find me on LinkedIn, connect with me, send me a note, tell me why, tell me why you're interested in, in talking to me and learning about Disney and learning about social listening, X, Y, and Z. Send me a good note on LinkedIn and then let's talk. Um, and I, I will put that out there to any of the students watching that. Send me a good note on LinkedIn and we can talk. Um, I'm very willing to meet with people separately and talk to them about my career journey. I feel like I'm probably sharing the first 10 to 15 questions that you would normally ask in this session. But if you have any more, I'm happy to answer them. Uh, and I think it's a, really, it's a really important way that people find their right path. Thank you so much. Um, in terms of advice for um, a more specific population, 
Um, if you were going to give, you know, tips and pointers to the next generation of women in business, um, what would that be? Oh, gosh. Huh. Um, get a mentor. Uh, get a mentor in a different department if possible. I feel like that has helped me a lot because they have a different perspective. And because within your department, ideally you're forming a close relationship with your leader. Always try and make your leader's life easier, your direct manager's life easier. Um, and try and make sure that they know who you are, what your goals are, what you're interested in, you know, where you want to be in five years. Make sure your leader knows that. Make sure your mentor knows that. And ideally, they should be two different people. Um, fight your imposter syndrome. Hopefully, you know, um, you find a way that works for you. And like I said, my way is through educating myself. If there's an area that I feel like I would be too, too embarrassed to speak up in, okay, then I guess I need to uh, take, it, take a course in it. I need to consult an expert and ask them a bunch of questions. Um, I think being a sponge for knowledge in general, absorbing as much as possible and asking lots of good questions is one of the best ways you can position yourself whenever you're starting a new job as not just someone who talks to talk, but who, who talks to listen and to learn. Um, and then trust a small group of people in the office environment. I, I feel like I was given this advice and it's, it's I could, you know, I would say I would take it even more now that I've had the experience I have. Know that every time, you know, you kind of tell somebody something, they may have someone else that they like to tell. And like office environments can be unfortunately similar to school in that way. And that's the other benefit of having a mentor in another department or having a friend who works outside of the company or in a totally other department. If you need to vent, it shouldn't be to people that you necessarily like work directly with. So you want to, you want to have your good connections. You want to have your people you can trust, but you also want to insulate yourself and like protect yourself in that way to be smart about who you trust. Um, and I think that way, you know, you can build, you're, you're always like building a reputation, whether you mean to or not. So be intentional about that. Communicate who you are to people and uh, think about what your elevator pitch is. So if you, you know, if you haven't heard the phrase elevator pitch, it's say, you got stuck on an elevator for just like a minute or two with the CEO of whatever company you work for. If you turned up to them and shook their hand and said, hi, I'm so-and-so, what would be the brief, just, you know, few sentences description you would give of who you are, what you do, and why they should remember you, basically. So think about that. And as you start your, you know, first jobs in, in the world, you're going to use that. You're going to use that elevator pitch a lot. So make sure that it's a good one. Thank you. Great advice there. I want to link back to um, something that you said very early on in our talk when you were talking about your career path and um, speaking about, you know, one of the first positions you were hired into and when talking about your manager, you said that, you know, they really took a chance on you. And so I think so often that's the case. Um, and so I'm curious, looking back, why do you think that person took a chance on you? Well, um... She's amazing. I think that's part of why. Uh, so her name's Katie. She has been my friend and really mentor to this day. So I call her my friend tour. Um, she, we, we met and we clicked. Like she, she saw something in me. I also went, wow, this woman is so smart and so just kind and open and authentic. And I just, I would love to work for her. 
And she put that out and I gave that right back. And then she was like, let's meet again. Let's talk. There's a role on my team. And so the way I actually got connected to her was through a series of meet and greets that all started um, when I was a management intern. And it was, I went to this networking event, met with the guy who put on the networking event. He connected me to someone who connected me to someone else who connected me to someone else who connected me to Katie. I mean, I was literally, I put in lots of legwork in terms of meeting these people. Every single time I put on a suit and drove to the office on my day off and met with these people and smiled and prepared questions. And like, so, I mean, I did a ton leading up to that, that then it was just the right person, right time. And that's something, it's so tough sometimes that you can be super smart and knowledgeable and ready and then the, but the right job isn't ready for you at the right time. So you have to be fully prepared and then the timing also has to work out. So, you know, I think that she, uh, she and I clicked, that was a big part behind it, you know? And, and I think what she saw in me hopefully was that I was coachable, trainable, that I was, I, I wanted to learn. And that's something I look for. I don't want someone to, in an interview, maybe constantly be showing me how they know everything, particularly in an entry-level role. That's just not the expectation. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, someone who's willing to be a sponge is far more attractive to me as a candidate than someone who thinks that they know everything um, coming out of their undergrad. Thank you. Um, and then just to um, connect back to another comment that you made that's relevant to this um, you know, this discussion of, you know, finding a job and then, you know, getting transitioned into your organization. Um, you mentioned that you had been moved around a lot um, in terms of, you know, various departments, yeah. and various leaders. Um, what advice do you have around those situations? So if you're undergoing restructuring or you're being thrown into new situations, what are things that you do to, to help you get up to speed um, and to adapt? I would say stay, stay open-minded um, because my first move, when I was first hired for the social media listing role, it was on our digital marketing team. And that was the social media team. So all the other roles on the team were some form of social media. You had the social media strategists, you had the people who were community managers of the different pages. You had people actually creating content like graphic designers. That was, it was the social media team. That team got completely split up when I was an analyst on it for two years. And I was devastated because I thought for sure that my path was going to be social media, that I would move from one social media role to the other. Ended up being that they moved the strategist to the rest of marketing strategy. They moved the, con the graphic designers to fit with advertising with the rest of the graphic designers there. And they moved social listening to consumer insight, which is where I've been ever since. And at first I thought, oh, I don't know if I'm like a data and a numbers person. Turns out I am. I love data and numbers. I absolutely geek out for it. And now I inherited this, you know, other area of my team that ended up being far more technical. And I ended up loving that as well. So maybe don't, you know, don't sell, your, sell yourself short. Don't assume that you're not going to like something new. Give it a chance. Um, and then I would say a big thing is I learned how to, to explain what my team does and why we matter. Uh, a lot because every new leader I got moved to, I was like, this is me. This is what I do. This is my team. This is what they do. Here's the value we bring. Um, I basically have like a pitch deck that I have, 
used and retooled about a hundred different times over the years, but it's evolved all the way from when I was on digital marketing and we went out and kind of were sharing that we were a brand new team. And now we're not a brand new team anymore, but it's still been useful to have that on hand and to, I've, you know, presented that literally, I mean, maybe a hundred times at this point. Um, and it's, and it's super useful and it, it helps people understand here's who I am. Here's what I do. Here's why it matters. And it's, it's just a great way to like kick off that relationship immediately when you get moved somewhere new. Excellent advice. Thank you so much. So um, you've given us so much uh, good food for thought and uh, really good suggestions along the way. Um, do you have any uh, closing tips or strategies that you want to share that we didn't get to? Gosh. Um, hmm. I, I think, I think the most important thing, I guess, is to try to, to be your authentic self at work, to bring that to work. And like I said, to, to communicate that to people, to know how to talk about yourself um, and to not be shy about that. Uh, and I think more and more, at least in my experience, people respond to that and they want to know who you are, um, not just as a worker bee and as like a, you know, a number, um, but, but as a person, and I, I can say that honestly, because I just got another new leader three weeks ago and he and I have only met a handful of times, but already he knows things about me and I know things about him. He knows that I love baking and that I have a dog that I'm obsessed with. And he knows that, you know, that I've been married for eight years. Like, I think that that is a really important part of a working relationship too, is to at least, you know, know those important things about each other. And, um, to, to celebrate that. And I, I think that's the reason that my team is so successful is because we all genuinely like each other, but we also all genuinely know maybe what each other's pet peeves are and how to work best together. So I think that that, that actually helps make people really successful um, in a work environment when you can have that. Thank you so much. Um, well, you have certainly given us, um, you know, so many good tips and strategies and thank you for, you know, kind of walking back in time on your career path and sharing some of the ups and downs. Um, we are absolutely walking away with some great uh, suggestions here. So as always, I encourage um, the audience to, you know, think about the things that resonated with you. Um, you know, we're all at different points of our, um, you know, career paths. Think about something that connected with you, jot it down, come back to it tomorrow. Think about how you can build some action steps around it and put it into practice. So Jess, thank you for your time. It was great to see you. Um, and thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Have a good evening. Thanks so much. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. We hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.